Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as Rachel Maddow's stunt double, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Alison Bechdel, the award-winning cartoonist behind Dykes to Watch Out For and the graphic novel Fun Home. I interviewed Allison on stage at the Curran Theater in San Francisco, which recently underwent a big renovation. We spoke in front of a live audience immediately after the performance of Fun Home, which was adapted into a Tony Award-winning musical. Let's take a listen. Hey, everybody. I kind of look like Allison Bechdel, too, so um, all lesbians look like this. Um, can you... Can you um, there's a little Rachel Maddow going on and stuff like that. So if everybody could sit down, we're going to start. My name's Kara Swisher. I'm a journalist. I typically write about tech, but this is, I had to do tons and tons of interviews with all the big tech titans. But this afternoon, I am so thrilled to be interviewing Alison Bechdel, who saved my life with Dykes to Watch Out For. Um, she is... This is a bucket list interview as far as I'm concerned, even better than Kim Kardashian, which was quite enjoyable, I will tell you. Um, she's very smart, she's very sly. Um, anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring Allison out here, and then there, I'm going to interview her a little bit, and then we're going to take questions from the audience, which is great. Allison Bechdel. Let's, let's give her another round of applause. That was an astonishing piece of art that you created. And by the way, the cast, I know they're back there. Let's give them, that was an astonishing. So, Allison, that was intense, okay? It is, isn't it? I know. So talk a little bit about the play now, because it's been going on. You wrote the book 10 years ago almost, is that correct? Yeah, the book came out actually this was the illustrated novel, right, which, yeah. uh, which hit hugely, got all kinds of accolades. Talk about the journey of this play, and, I, and then we're going to get into things like politics and, other, and art, and we have to, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hashtag Muslim ban, we cannot not discuss it. Um, so let's, let's start with that. What, how do you feel about the journey of this? Because it still feels fresh and pertinent and meaningful on lots of levels. Yeah, it, it was a very long journey from... Well, the book itself was a long journey. It took me like seven years to write it, and I didn't even begin it till I was almost 40, as you saw in the story. It took a long time. It was sort of torturous watching my, the character who plays me like going through her creative suffering, because um, that's just how I work. I still go through that every day. So then after the book came out, very early on, there was this offer to turn it into a musical. Lisa Crone uh, was it, attached to this project of, of wanting to turn my book into a musical, which I thought was really... What did you say nutty. to that? Because someone who had, had... A friend I brought with me, I brought all straight people and a gay, um, and she said she, when they read the book, they didn't... They couldn't, the gay didn't, couldn't believe it was going to be a musical. Um, no, I thought it was just nuts. I couldn't imagine how it would become a musical. But I didn't know much about musicals then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was just thinking of, like, Guys and Dolls or something. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't quite picture that. Can you um, imagine a Guys and Dolls version of this? That would be tasteless. <laughs> That'd be tasteless. But I said yes to it because I, I knew Lisa and trusted her. And also it felt like so alien, so like such a different form that I, I could let go of it. I didn't have any involvement. It was like I turned over all my creative rights 
to this team. And then time went by, years went by, and I didn't hear anything about it, and I started to wonder, is this really happening? But maybe four years later, they, they did a workshop, and I got a, a tape of the, well, CD of the songs, of actors performing these songs, and it was, um, it just staggered me. I don't know what I had I'd been expecting. You know, I knew they were doing this, but when I actually heard it, it was so powerful. Now, did you have any hand in writing any of the lyrics? Or zero. It's from zero. So they just, they took your work, which was an illustrated novel, and then made it into this. Yes. When you heard it for the first time, did you want to, did, is, was it hard letting go of the artistic product that you made to create this? Did you have suggestions or differences? I got to see these early workshops and, and things and gave them feedback, which they were very kind about listening to, and some, took some of it, I think. Um, the, the thing is, the, the whole team, Lisa Crone, the writer, Janine Tesori, the composer, and Sam Gold, who directed it, were kind of amazing in the way that they respected the fact that this was about my real family. And they, you know, obviously they took lots of liberties. They made stuff up. My family didn't really dance around like the Partridge family. That is, <laughs> that is a great disappointment to me. Cause that... <laughs> Wait, but, one question. The fun home ad, you had to have, please, for the love of God, done that. No. Oh. I mean, we, 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 all, we did make commercials for stuff with our cassette, T- cassette recorder. Tape, yeah. um, but no, Lisa wrote that. And okay. It's so perfect. Yeah. So you wish you had. I wish I had, yeah. yeah. Um, so so when, you, when you see it now, like you were in the audience, I don't know if you realize she was sitting in the audience, how does it feel to watch this? Because it is, you know, it's completely about you and, and your life and a very difficult relationship with your father and a, a complicated relationship. Well, I, I dissociate a little bit, you know. It's like the first time I saw it, it, it was so powerful. And I don't know, it's like seeing it. An amazing view, like the first time you see it, you can't believe it, and you just have this physical, visceral reaction, but after, then you get used to it. So it's very sad, but I've kind of gotten used to it. It's like listening to an amazing song over and over until it, you can't really hear it. So, so that's not a very exciting answer, I'm sorry, but it's the true answer. <laughs> She's completely sleeping, I think is what she just said uh, during this. <laughs> no. Um, um, now, you have another book. Are You My Mother, which was another illustrated model, which is sort of a sequel to this, or...? It is kind of. It was not intended to be, but it turned out that way. But it's a memoir about my mother, and also, in an odd way, a, mem- a memoir about the process of writing Fun Home mm-hmm. and navigating that with my mother, right. who was none too keen on it. How does she feel now? Because, by the way, that song of hers in this music, I think, is probably my yeah, favorite. Yeah, that song's amazing. It's a heart-wrenching song. And that's something that, you know, my mother hardly appears at all in, in the book, Fun Home, I, because I was so terrified. I knew she was going to be reading it, so I uh, tried to keep her out of it as much as I could. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> my mom um, is here. What? She's fantastic. Oh. All the time. <laughs> we won't go oh, into the coming okay. out story, because she doesn't come out well in that one. Oh, the no. original one. She's great now. She's great now. <laughs> It's a redemption story. Anyway, um, so how, is your, well, how did your mother react now? How does she feel about this? Well, the, the, this is the sort of sad, but in some ways not thing. My mother did not ever see the play. She died the year that it opened on, uh, off-Broadway. And she knew it was happening. And she would say things to me like, well, I, I can't wait to see the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
With but just no, that tone, right? Yeah, yeah. But it was, she, you know, I feel like if, if she had not died, seeing this play would, would have surely killed her. I think it would have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would, I think it would have been very painful, obviously in, in some ways, but also in another way, like she didn't like being turned into a character in a book and she certainly, well, she might have had mixed feelings about being turned into a character on the stage because she was actually an actress. She did summer stock theater when I was growing up. So I think there was a way she might have actually been delighted by all of this. Sort of like, I hate this, and yet I look really good. Yeah. Actress plays it really well. So what, tell me what you're doing now, because you brought Dykes to Watch Out For back for a brief second. We were all hoping yeah. for another series of books. We just want you to write. If I had made a billion dollars in the tech industry, as I should have, I would have just paid you just to write Dykes to Watch Out For. That would have been amazing. I know. I just, I would do that with a lot of people. Wow. Yeah. What, why did you stop doing that and then you, you started it, you just did one panel well, I, essentially? I stopped just coincidentally at the end of the Bush administration, just during the, just before the primaries when it was Hillary and Obama. That, um, that, that's known as good times now, but go ahead. Oh God, I know, those, the good old days. I know. Um, those lovable scamps. <laughs> <laughs> the Bush boys. Um, but I was, I was, A, I was to- really ground down to a pulp by writing about the Bush administration. And, and B, I just couldn't keep doing it and do the other things I wanted to do. I'd been doing it at that point for 25 years, and I felt like it was, now I could, it was a good stopping point. I didn't intend to stop. I was going to take a break, but then I just realized, yeah, I was done. Mm-hmm. And people over the years would talk to me and say, Oh, I miss your comic strip. What are the characters up to? What are they? What are they? What do they think of Obama? And I, I would have this very again another disappointing response, which was, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea, because I just I wasn't really thinking about them. I was very relieved to just be done. But so the um, creator has gone away. Kind Essentially, of, yeah. God has left the building yeah. and wasn't interested anymore. But uh, after this election, I suddenly could hear and see them and felt this tremendous need for my own sanity to bring them back and try and write, write about what was happening in the moment. Like, <laughs> Thank you. Um, because that's, that's what I would use the comic strip for myself was to make sense of the chaotic world and I never needed it more than last November. And I, I wish I could keep doing it. I hope to keep doing a few more episodes but I, it's... It's incredibly time-consuming. I can't. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing? So you, because one of the things I want to talk about just a tiny bit, and then we will get to questions, is how you feel as an artist and being political. Because right now, it kind of demands it. And, and when you were doing it during the Bush administration, it demanded it. How do you look at your role as an artist now? You know, do you feel like you have to weigh in, or do you want to do something just like something else? Oh, no, I want to weigh in. I, you know, and I've gone off on, into these weirdly personal things these, since doing the comic strip, doing these family memoirs, and I'm working on another kind of memoir now. It, it does all start to seem a little... Your brothers? What? <laughs> no. I, I used to say I was going to write about my brothers, but they, uh, that's sort of not happening now. I mean, okay. Maybe later. Why did you just make a face? Oh, because uh, my family got kind of burnt out on all of this, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it was a little hard on them. Yeah, my son is always like, stop writing about me, Mom. That's enough. But then I say, too bad. You were born into the wrong place. Um, 
But so what are you working on right now? I'm working on a memoir about physical fitness and mortality. And it feels so frivolous given what's happening around us. Like, well, explain that. Physical fitness oh, and mortality, like don't exercise, what's the point? Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I do exercise. It's something I've always loved, and, but I also well, feel like... you're very fit. I, oh, thank you. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's not going to save me. I'm still going to die. I'm, that's sort of just hitting me yeah. recently. Yeah. Um, Although, you know, a lot of Silicon Valley billionaires are working on life extension and death avoidance schemes. That's crazy. Peter Thiel has this thing called parabiosis, where you take the blood of young people. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he's doing it, allegedly, but there's all kinds of schemes going on now in Silicon Valley on that, those issues. Oh my God, that's a crazy time. Yeah. Um, so, so it's about, fills with, and mortality, meaning you working out and... I haven't quite figured it out yet, I'm still working on it. Do you have a title? Yes, it's called The Secret to Superhuman Strength. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a, a comic book ad I saw as a kid that sucked me in and right. I... I sent away for it. I really, really wanted the secret to superhuman strength. And it was this like crazy manual for a weird martial art yeah. that I couldn't possibly understand. Yeah. It was very disappointing. All right. Um, and so you live in Vermont, right? Correct? Yes. And what is your, I always ask this to everybody, and I know it sounds crazy, I asked it of when I interviewed Steve Jobs or Oprah or different things. I'm like, what do you do all day? What is your day in Vermont like? Where, you're in Burlington or? I, li- I live in the woods outside of Burlington. Okay. I get up, I do some yoga, I try to do some seven-minute workout, (laughs) (laughs) and then I go sit in my office on my computer writing this crazy book. Writing the book. Writing the book and sometimes drawing the book. And it will be illustrated? Yeah, it's going to be a cartoon, a comic. Yeah. And because uh, we're in San Francisco, are you particularly technical? Like, you, we ta- you and I email back and forth, and you said you're a bit of a geek, or, or do you feel you, you are? I'm a bit of a geek. Certainly not as big of a geek as you. That is fair. <laughs> um. But no, I, you know, I started doing comics in the 80s, like mm-hmm. before there was anything digital. And I adopted stuff as it came along. Um, you know, I got a graphic tablet and I got Photoshop and I got a digital camera that the, the camera really transformed my work a lot because I could I used to like make little quick reference sketches for my drawings or I'd, I'd look at myself in the mirror or if it was a really complicated scene I would take a Polaroid which was really expensive it was like a dollar for every Polaroid you took um, but once you could take digital photos it, it was endless you could take as many free pictures as you wanted and I did that and I for like all the scenes in Fun Home I posed for all the characters oh wow that's amazing. yeah it's a little do you, obsessive do you, that's okay um I know a lot of people like that um so do you use a lot of socially I want to get into politics very briefly then we'll get questions from the audience uh, do you use social media no I, I I was I kind of got into blogging at the time that Fun Home came out and I suddenly had this big audience it was really fun to make blog posts and have people reply. But then Facebook kind of put the kibosh on that. Is yeah. that the second time I've said put the kibosh on? No, just once, and it's fantastic. <laughs> if you say skedaddle, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Jeepers would work, too. Um, but but, but you, don't use, you don't use it as an artist or for uh, talking to no, your fans? I, no, I did, but I got really burnt out on it. 
because? Uh, uh, just because, you know, as, as Fun Home, the juggernaut of Fun Home kept going, I started to feel finally at last overexposed, you know? Mm-hmm. It took a while, I had to, but I reached my threshold. It was like, I don't really need to be online talking to people all day about what I'm doing. Right. It was seductive for a while, though. I can it see is. why it's people addictive. do it. It's an addictive hellscape. All right, so before we finish, talk a little bit about politics now, because one of the things that you like coming to San Francisco, these are alternative facts here in San Francisco to what's happening. How do you look at the current political scene and also the, the resistance to it? Well, I'm trying not to succumb to despair, and the resistance is really helping me to do that. I went to the March in Washington last week, and yeah. it was... It was really, it was transformative. It was, I've never been, I mean, I've been to a lot of big marches and demonstrations, but I've never been in a crowd like that. Mm -hmm. It was like... It was, I was there too. It was astonishing. It was like just being a particle in this giant organism that you didn't even know where it was going or what was happening. And there was something about just being there with, with my body, with all these other bodies in that place that felt like this might really happen. We might be really getting our shit together at long last. And how do you look at... But at the same time, there's constant... Oh, my God. Every day, it's like a kick in the stomach. I know. Um, Yesterday morning was just abysmal. But then by the end of the day, all these demonstrations at the airports. All those lawyers coming out. Uh, I saw... Did you see there was this really funny sign yesterday? It was... um, First they came for the Muslims, and we said, Not today, motherfuckers. (laughs) <laughs> so I feel, you know, did you, I, did you like the signs at the women's march? They oh were so good. You yeah. know, we shall overcome was my favorite. <laughs> and then my very favorite was Heil Twitler. <laughs> I didn't see that. But yours is better. My favorite one from DC was this long quote from Hannah Arendt. It was like 500 words on a placard, and I can't <laughs> tell you what it said, but it was really good. Um, but I do feel like, like part of my political responsibility right now is not to give in to despair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's hard, but um, just, you know, here, here we all are together. There's so many people who are the good guys, and I feel very heartened by that. And I think it's going to be, obviously, a long slog, but I think we're going to do it. Does it remind you of, it just was reminding me the other day, because I, for some reason, Philadelphia was on TV last night, and I watched, I hadn't seen it in, since it came out, really. And it reminds me a little bit of that time, and you remember that. Um, you know, I remember being on the mall and doing the, the AIDS quilt and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And I do remember the feeling of great despair when that was all happening. People were dying, and yeah. it, was, it felt like that. And then fast forward to today. This feels like a, another order of magnitude. Yeah. But certainly the same thing. So what do you do, uh, last question, what are you doing to, besides despair, is there any action as an artist or a person, do you think, people should take, you don't have to give advice to people or anything like that, but I'm asking. And I think, you know, for me, I, we, we have to do the things that we're best at and the things that we love doing. I think just finding joy in the world, I think is re- really politically important. If people are doing what they're happy um, doing, I don't mean like slacking off and getting drunk, but really doing the thing that makes you feel alive and engaged, like that's what you should be doing, whatever it is. And also plotting to free Melania. Okay. Um, <laughs> 
So let's have questions from the audience. We have a thing here. Time for just a few. And don't be shy. You have Alison Bechdel here, so ask a question of her. Right here. Hello. Hello. It's me. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you for writing that. Um, Woo. How, how did you, do you know how they went about finding the, people, the actors and actresses? Do I know how they went about finding them? I, I don't. Would have been fun to sit in on the casting, though. Um, I do know the story of Kate Schindel, who you didn't see today, but because her understudy played my character today, but Kate Schindel, who was um, a former Miss America. <laughs> she normally plays Allison in this production, and she got the part because she um, came to see the show on Broadway and just really was excited by it and said, I want to I do this, and then she tried out, and she's doing it. But I don't, I don't really know how the theater stuff works. It's very... You know, in high school, I was like on the stage crew. I, I, I was the, I didn't hang out with the actor kids. They were too no. cool. Yeah. What did you do in high school? I took my dad's English, English class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We saw that. But did you have any, did you join any clubs? Or were you uh, I, yeah, I joined all the clubs. I was, a, I was just a sad, lost person. Huh. My favorite part of this was you going to the gay union and doing Danka. That was... <laughs> <laughs> That was, I, I lived that, I think. Um, another question? Right here. Oh, where is it? Whatever it is, just start. Hi, talking. up here. here. My friend's daughter played you and was nominated for a Tony, Emily Skaggs. Oh, wow. So I just sent her a, test, a text to ask her how Emily got the role, because I, I don't know. So when I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. All right, next. Emily was great. Hiya. Um, I was wondering uh, kind of what your updated views are, uh, kind of how the Bechdel test has changed, especially ah, with the push, so push for intersectionality. All right. Can you explain the Bechdel test, which is the finest thing ever happening? This is so funny. The Bechdel test is the thing I'm really most well known for. That's okay. Um, and it's That's not okay. even like my thing. It's just gotten attached to my name. It's actually from a very, very old Dykes to Watch Out For episode from the 80s about two women trying to figure out what movie to go to. And one of them says, I can only see a movie if it has more than two women characters in it who talk to each other about something besides a man. And I stole that from a friend of mine. She had just told me the stories and I didn't have an idea for my strip, so I just put that in my comic strip. And it was just a like lesbian feminist joke of the 80s, the kind of stuff we were all saying to each other. And it, you know, it just disappeared. But then 20 years later, these young feminists resurrected it. I think it started with women in film school who were being told the exact opposite. Don't, if you want to sell a movie to Hollywood, don't put more than two women in it, uh, et cetera. So uh, it's just taken on this weird life of its own and... There's like a website, you can go see if a movie passes it or not, and you can discuss the, you know, finer points of why or why not it passes. But it's, it's really cool because it's this real index of how the culture has changed. It was a very fringe, marginal thing in the 80s, and now it's become this more mainstream discussion, which is amazing. And continues to be true, which is astonishing. Yeah. Not right. as true as it was, but Which yeah. one? It's gotten a little better, but... Slightly, yeah. I don't know. I'm not too... I don't know. Um, You're more jaded than I am. I am. Think about... Well, you know, it's interesting when you have kids. I have two kids. When you start to look at those movies, and, like, you look at a movie like Finding Nemo, how many women are in the ocean? (laughs) One, and she's crazy. (laughs) It's Ellen. It's always Ellen, right? Yeah. It's always a crazy lesbian. Okay. 
<laughs> it's Lee Mars. Oh, hey, hi, Allison. Lee. Hi. hi. I really enjoyed this different version of Fun Home. Um, well, I just have to say, Lee Mars is a pioneering women's cartoonist. <laughs> of, of, the, of the women's comics days. The old, real underground days. So thank you. I'm glad you're here. Um, yes, we had to carve the rocks and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> real trouble. Um, you do a really good job, I think, of being a creative person in our society because you work, you really work, and you have for years. And now that fame has come to you, you actually have retreated in order to remain creative. And that's very hard to do. It is hard to do. It's surprisingly hard to do. Like, I shouldn't be sitting here talking in San Francisco. I should be home working. <laughs> yeah, get to work. <laughs> you know, the, the food is super good here. So. It is. Have just a little good time. Okay. All right, okay. Don't feel guilty. So address what she said. What do you think about that? Because you are, do you, are, you think of yourself as well-known? I mean, you must. Well, yeah, it's very strange. I mean, I... I Oh my God! I was I was waiting outside for an Uber today, and this. No. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> because of what? Because of what they did about people going to the airports yesterday? No. Okay. Okay, I got to get the other one. No. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> but no, this is really cool. Like this is that's a kind of activism, right? Yeah. Like that. I mean, it's making your your values known. Who did? That's Lyft. Wow. Lyft did. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm totally deleting that app. Um, anyhow, <laughs> I was waiting for this car, and <laughs> I, uh, the, uh, this dyke pulled up in a in a car, and I thought, oh, there, that must be my driver. And no, she was just like some random lesbian who identified me on the street and like jumped out of her car screaming. <laughs> I mean, it's really weird. It's Do you really like weird. that? No, I really don't like it. I mean, oh. it's, 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 it's novel at, at first for a while, but it's, it's quite draining and really? odd. Huh. I... Did she... Right. <laughs> no, but she almost got hit by the car that was coming to pick me up. <laughs> So how did you react? What did you oh, do? Oh, you know, I was very friendly and yeah. talked to her and took a selfie with her. Okay, all right. But it's weird. Like, all of a sudden, your life is interrupted by this bizarre force. Yeah. Um, I'm not really complaining. It's, of right. course, it's a really good thing, but it's just odd. Yeah. I always get approached by Indian geeks, so it's not quite as fun. I wish <laughs> I was you. Do they want selfies? Yes. Yes. Oh, it's got a swisher. I cannot believe it. And then <laughs> it's... I wish I had your life. Um, okay. Uh, two more quick questions. Hi. Hi. Right oh, I'll stand up. Okay. Right. Um, so, Fun Home, the book has a very, like, non-linear structure, and I love that they, they kept that kind of jumping back and forth through time. And I was wondering, when you were writing it, did it come naturally to you, or how did you come up with that kind of... Oh, no. It took... It was really, really hard. It took... You know, I said it took me seven years to write that book, mostly because I was just moving stuff around all the time and didn't know... I didn't know how to write a book. I knew how to write a comic strip, but that was a very small, contained thing. It was just an organic process of 
I realized I didn't want to, just want to tell the story of what happened to me. That's not really that interesting. It's just like, it was, but it was my ideas and feelings about what happened to me. And to do that, I had to break it apart chronologically and talk about it more thematically. So that meant the time got all screwed up. All right, last question. Back where, who Hi. Oh, I was just wondering um, how you would have written things differently had your mother not been alive when you wrote them. Oh, that's an excellent question. Yeah. You know, because it was very, I was very aware of her presence, not just what she was going to think of the book, but her editorial presence, because she was a writer, a thwarted writer, and a lot of my struggle was just being able to get her out of my head as a as an oppressive editorial voice. But if she had, you know, the interesting thing is, as I was writing the, the second book, the memoir about her, she actually was, very weirdly, she was diagnosed with cancer right when Fun Home was published, like the week I was off on my book tour. And she lived for seven more years and saw the book about her, but I never knew if she was going to live to see it, which was very strange too, because I, there were different books I could have written. But you're asking what would have been different. And, um, you know, I, I like to think I would have been more honest. I tried to be as honest as I could, but I feel like I still was soft-pedaling things, at least in the book about my mother. I don't know. Sorry. Um, I'm not sure. If, it might not have been any different, you know? It's weird, too, because my parents' friends, many of them are still alive, and I often hear from them, and they all have their own versions of things. And, they're and what of, do they say? Well, some of them are mad at me. Some of them don't think my dad was really gay. <laughs> <laughs> many of them are, are actually kind of amazing, and like they've come to see the play, and they talk to me about it, and they come out of the play sobbing. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's very moving to see that. Well, everybody has their own reaction to yeah. everything. It's often not factual even when it's not factual. Yeah. I'm sorry we can't take more questions because Allison's got to go, but I always ask with everyone, if you could do anything next, like what would you want to do if you weren't doing this? What would, if you could pick something or do you really like the life you have and the way you've built it? But if there was one thing that you haven't done that you've wanted to do? I do really love my life. And if I, you know, even if you gave me a billion dollars to do something else, I don't think I would. But you're saying... If I, I have to pick something. Yeah. I think it would be, <laughs> I just had this image of, um, could I just like take trapeze classes? <laughs> you know, Allison, you can do that now. <laughs> I did, I took one and it was so fun. Why not two? Well, I mean, I don't have a, that much time. But... Well, you are gonna die someday, so what's the difference? <laughs> I would just wanna do fun things like that. Fun physical things, just pl- like playing, if I could do that. You should. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Everybody, Allison Bechtel. Thank you, Sarah. I want to thank Allison Bechtel again for joining me on stage and the staff of the Curran Theater in San Francisco for hosting us. The national tour of Fun Home is there until February 19th, and you can find out what cities it is headed to next on funhomebroadway.com. 
If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to Recode Decode. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Hamilton producer Jeffrey Seller, New York Times columnist Tom Friedman, and the Late Late Show host James Corden, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like The Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Recode Decode. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. We'll be back with another great guest at our normal time this Monday. Tune in then.